Babip. Meepop. Test, 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 test. Okay, I have to talk pretty loud to get close to zero, so I feel like that's a good, uh, it's a good place to be. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of blasting it, and I'm just barely reaching negative six right there, so... I think I'm good to go. Oh, wow. I hit zero. All right. I'm going to lower that a little bit. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Hey. Yeah, I didn't even hit it. Didn't even hit it again. Way to go. That's my boy. Whoa, that's right it. <laughs> that's my boy. Okay. That's good. That's good. Okay. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of great, a lot of great One, two, clips three. here. Hey, Get together, have a few laughs. Uh oh, shit, lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Lady, put the freaking gun down on the ground right now. Take your shot across the freaking street and say that until gonna get you. Hello, and welcome to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way, a film podcast about the multitude of works by Bruce Willis. My name is Kendrick Martin. And I'm Josh Carter. So, today, we're gonna be covering The Last Boy Scout. Directed by Tony Scott, written by Shane Black and Greg Hicks. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do here is an in-depth breakdown of a movie starring Bruce Willis, both from a film perspective and his individual contribution. We add the movie to our rankings, talk trivia, and whisk the wheel of Willis. Find all our previous episodes over at williswaypod.com. Find other podcasts in the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network over at lastoftheactionheroes.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, and we'll read your review on air. Before we dive into the movie itself, we want to give you a brief overview of our thoughts on The Last Boy Scout and rate this movie a Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis. So, Josh... Where, what would you rate this movie? I'm pretty torn. So, like, I feel like I could rate, well, uh, you know, I think probably, like, a Bruce, a Bruce Y or a Bruce Wee <laughs> <laughs> or a Bruce Will, but with one L. <laughs> I'm not sure which one. <laughs> Uh, okay, alright. Well, you have to pick one. One out of those three. I feel like, uh... Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Wee. Bruce Wee. Okay. Um, so this is your... If you're not familiar with the Bruce Willis rating system, uh, we're ranking the 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 name Bruce Willis. Uh, the, the more letters, the better the movie, is how that works. For those of you who... Couldn't put our excellent logic together. Any movie we rank a Bruce or better, we think is worth watching. So Josh ranked this a Bruce Wee, W-I. I think I'm going to go a Bruce W, a little bit less, but still over a Bruce. I think it's worth watching. Yeah. I am glad I watched it. With the caveat of if you like action movies and you like Bruce Willis, I'd say it's worth watching. If you do not love either of those things in particular, I would probably say, you know yourself, don't don't go spend your money on this. It's not going to change your mind about action movies. 
yeah, this movie is definitely an action movie. It's definitely a violent movie. Uh, it's a Bruce Willis action movie. It's your it's what it says on the tin that you're you're getting you're getting exactly that. Yeah. All that said, though, we both thought it was worth a watch. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely forgot that we rated movies out of Bruce Willis at the beginning of the podcast, even though we've been doing that for a while now. So you asked me that, and I was like, oh, fuck, I haven't thought about this. You mean you don't just create it on the moment, on the fly? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not... Well, I guess sometimes I do. Maybe my brain's just, like, broken today, and so it doesn't... It doesn't want to think all the way through about this mm. thing. Uh, Oregon is experiencing a s- spring storm today. It uh, it was a beautiful Saturday, and then today is Sunday, and it is super windy, cold, and very rainy. Yep. So maybe... Maybe your brain is just having a little whiplash trying to figure out what's going on. I think that's probably fair. I would, I would, if I was my brain, I think I would understand where I was coming from with that. I can, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Before we dive into this movie, we have an email to read. Josh, do you want to read this email? Yeah, I figured you were going to ask me that. Um, so, but yeah, the the email is as follows. Correction, Cosmic Sin. The female characters are women, not girls, Josh. It's scientist, sniper, and admiral woman, if you must unname them. And then a little emoticon, text-based emoticon, with a little tongue-sticking-out face. Thanks, sassy woman. So, I appreciate this email. I will take that to heart. Um, Yeah. That that's that's a good point. That's a good point. I will, I will refer to them going forward as scientist woman, sniper woman, and admiral woman. <laughs> Although I think I did say admiral lady, but <laughs> that is neither here oh, nor man. there. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, sassy woman. Yes, thank you, sassy woman. Whoever you are, um, if you also have corrections. Please, uh, please email those on into us. We definitely appreciate that. Our email is williswaypod at gmail.com. And you can tweet at us by tweeting at williswaypod. You can also find a Facebook page for the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network over on Facebook, where Facebook pages live. Yeah, both Kendrick and I are extremely active on Facebook. Wink. So if you post things over there, I will probably have my wife tell me about it, and then I will get get it in a roundabout way. It's almost better for you to like attach a note and send it via carrier pigeon, but you know, maybe maybe some of one of these days I'll log on to Facebook and check my like eighty notifications I probably have, and then go respond to that. Uh, not even kidding. The way Josh and I interact with Facebook is Josh's wife takes a screenshot of a Facebook page and t- sends it to Josh, who then sends it to me. <laughs> this and then I happened, go yeah. and review the comments. Uh, <laughs> I want to give a shout out to those listeners who commented on our Cosmic Sin post about Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo was one of the big exciting points about Cosmic Sin. Unfortunately... If you didn't listen to last week's episode, he spends very little time in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't they don't give that character a whole lot of space in the movie. <laughs> oh. 
Okay. All right, let's uh, discuss The Last Boy Scout. Say no game, Flash. Joe Hellenbeck, a private detective who's run out of luck. If you touch me again, I can. Jimmy Dix. I like bricks. Oh. Is an ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football. Another tragic tale of wasted youth. You're nobody. Shh. Don't tell anyone. Bruce Willis. Damon Williams. The last Boy Scout. Danger's my middle name. Mine's Cornelius. Don't tell anybody I kill you. That audio was from the trailer of The Last Boy Scout. I'm going to read the description from IMDb. A down-and-out cynical detective teams up with a down-and-out ex-quarterback to try and solve a murder case involving a pro football team and a politician. This movie is available for rent on VOD, and as usual, we will be spoiling this entire movie. Now, Josh, before we get into this movie, I know sports play a big role in this movie, but I would not call this a sports movie, so... For my own uh, indulgence, what are your feelings on sports movies? Are you a fan? Do they usually? Are you? Do you usually find yourself enjoying them? Do you not care either way? I think it kind of depends. I would typically say that I'm not a fan of seeing the same story over and over again, and sports movies kind of lend themselves towards a rookie or underdog sort of story or the comeback kid sort of a story, and um. Once you've seen it a few times, you just get a little bit tired of it, I'd say. So I, I don't hate them, but I find them to be generally pretty disposable. That's kind of <laughs> how I feel about sports movies. What do you, what, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I can find them pretty disposable. I really enjoy sports movies where the playing of the game is not what the movie centers on. So I'm yeah. thinking of like the TV show Friday night lights is all about high school football in Texas, but very little about the TV show is about playing football. Mm-hmm. Like the, the actual game. It's all about the lives of people in that small town, that kind of stuff. I loved game or movies that are heavily weighted on a game and they show you a lot of footage from that game. I tend to not enjoy as much. I'm yeah. also, I don't, I don't really like American football in general. So I tend to kind of zone out when a lot of football comes into play. But this movie did, while it opened with a football game and ended with a football game, had very little to do about football itself. Yeah. Yeah, even, I would not call this a sports movie. I think this is even less of a sports movie than Die Hard is a Christmas movie, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Uh, did you know I saw someone call this movie a Christmas movie? Would you? I don't think there's any connection to a Christmas movie here. Well, I think it released in December, and that was one of the reasons why people said that it was kind of an odd choice for release because the 
the movie is very, very graphically violent and just some graphic nudity and a lot of drugs. And so it's, it is kind of a weird, happy end of the year movie. Cause that's like when you usually see uh, more family movies or like a Academy award chasing movie. And this movie is neither of those things. So releasing it in that time frame just seemed really odd to me as well. So I, I can understand why, uh, <laughs> why it, would be an odd choice, but I don't understand how people would call it a Christmas movie. I see no connection within the movie itself to Christmas. Yeah. I saw some writing about, uh, because the director, um, or sorry, the writer Shane black also wrote lethal weapon and lethal weapon is a a Christmas movie. They Mm. said that it was kind of fitting in his like Christmas movie oeuvre, which I was like, I do not agree. There's not, not one mention of Christmas in this movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I haven't seen a whole lot of Shane Black's movies, but I have seen Iron Man three, and I think that one takes place at least partially over Christmas, so or the Christmas season. Huh. So I remember a Christmas. I haven't tree seen that movie in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Shane Black, I I figure like the movie it's probably a pretty good spot to start when discussing the movie because I haven't seen a whole lot of Shane Black movies. But he definitely has a very um, distinct style of pretty snappy, sarcastic dialogue and a lot of kind of intense things surrounded by that snappy dialogue. And I feel like this movie just screams Shane Black all the way through it. It feels very, uh, very him. What did, what did you think? Did you find that to be the case as well? Did you immediately go, oh, yeah, this is a Shane Black movie? Or were you uh, maybe a little bit less uh, less convinced that this is, like, the core essence of Shane Black? I didn't know before watching it that I didn't know he had written it, and I didn't know I had seen so much of his uh, work, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man, The Nice Guys, Lethal Weapon. Um but I definitely felt like this movie was written to kind of course correct Bruce Willis's previous movies since Die Hard. Uh, this felt like a real true return to form for what they were trying to do with his uh, Die Hard movies as far as like quippy action, fast dialogue. Um, it, it didn't occur to me, though, that that was because of Shane Black, but that totally makes sense. Yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying, too, though. I think that this is probably the most similar in the, like, moment-to-moment beats of the movie with the Die Hard series that, out of everything else we've watched out of Bruce Willis so far. Yeah, no, uh, it's not trapped in a single location like Die Hard tends to be, but definitely otherwise, like, very action and uh, the... The comedy actually really worked for me. I was kind of like on the fence because, as I mentioned before, comedies are my favorite movie. And, you know, comedy from 30 years ago, I was unsure of how well it would work. But uh, most of the the quips were were pretty funny, especially there's a part where Bruce Willis is about to get shot by, I think, a gang member. And he's in the alleyway. And Bruce Willis just starts, like, rattling off one-liners or... uh, Like the, the guy just starts laughing so much. Yeah. 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 He just starts laughing so much that Bruce Willis is able to just like grab his gun and kill him. And I was like, whoa, that was a, 
<laughs> interesting ploy, but sure, it worked for me. Yeah, I I really liked how they leaned into making Bruce Willis's character so despicable in this movie, and just ninety nine percent irredeemable. I thought that was really great, and I, I I actually enjoyed watching Bruce Willis just be a total asshat for the entirety of the movie. I thought that he worked really well in it, and he does really great playing against somebody else that is also a comedy sort of actor and comedian. Um, so I think that he and uh, Damon um, just play really, really great against each other. I hadn't seen, I don't know if I've seen much else of the stuff by that stars Damon Wayans. Um, although he is in the Lethal Weapon TV show, Mm-hmm. which I have not seen any of, but I wonder if there's like a Shane Black connection there or if it's just coincidence. Yeah, uh, I think Shane Black just has the credit for original characters by, but mm, that's gotcha, about it, gotcha. yeah. Um, but I I was, yeah, he was quite funny and enjoyable and I loved their pairing. Um, I thought that they, they had really good chemistry and I think we're kind of supposed to be led to believe that they don't really like each other and they're kind of forced to work together, which is given us a little in the beginning, but then the rest of the time, I just feel like they're enjoying their time together. They're having a great old time, which is funny considering that in real life, that was not the case. (laughs) Yeah. This movie was plagued by a lot of off camera woes. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently Bruce Willis and Damon didn't really get along great together. And the producer and the director didn't get along great together. And the producer, the director, Bruce Willis, and Shane Black all did not get along well together. So it was it was a whole big thing. And the guy, uh, Joel Silver, I think was one of the producers of this movie. He also produced like Die Hard 1 and 2 and I think Hudson Hawk as well. And then he and Bruce Willis like never worked together after this movie. They just mm-hmm. had a huge falling out. So I think this movie, it it doesn't come across all that um, like maybe when when I think of like a movie with a troubled production, I think of a movie that doesn't necessarily have a great end result typically because you can see some of the dynamics playing out and you see people not trying as hard, but I still feel like everybody's given a pretty good performance and the, the end result of the movie is pretty good too. But the, the whole drama behind the scenes just makes it more sad for me. Cause it's like, Oh, mm-hmm. you guys made a, made it look like it was so much fun. And then you did not have any fun making it. What, what a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, we've said several times, on this podcast how important it is that the actors at least appear that they're having fun Mm -hmm. and a lot of bad bruce willis movies it seems like he's just not having any fun making the movie yeah uh but this is a great example of someone who's like playing a pretty despicable character but you can still have fun playing that role yeah totally one thing i want to talk about so this movie opens with like a, f- a football scene, like I said, and the football player is told he has to throw the game, and he throws the game by pulling out a gun and shooting the other team members, and then shooting himself in a very graphic uh, suicide. Yeah, and that's when I was like, "Whoa, this is uh, 
this is a going to be a graphic graphically violent movie yes <laughs> that yet still even when i knew that it was going to be graphically violent it still found ways to impress me throughout the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah and it it's in a weird place because stylistically it, i read that um tarantino loves this movie this is like one of his favorite movies or, <laughs> It was. I don't know if it still is, but he, yeah, he loves this movie. And I'm curious. I actually wonder if maybe this is how uh, he got Bruce Willis to, if he found Bruce Willis and wanted him to be in Pulp Fiction. But stylistically, you have uh, we filmmaking in in modern times has created a like hyper violence that we are accustomed to that is not at all realistic, but is over-the-top gory and gruesome beyond what would happen in reality in a lot of settings. And Mm -hmm. Tarantino, I'm thinking of as, like, the prime example of this. Yeah. And that that has a very, like, depicted look and style to it. And then you had uh, bad special effects in the 80s where you couldn't create a realistic... Uh, dismemberment or explosion that killed someone because it, it didn't look real and so you had these ridiculous puppet scenes where you know the actors replaced by a puppet at the last frame and it just looks silly as the puppet gets blown up mm-hmm. or or whatever uh, i'm thinking of like scanners classic head explosion scene but he, in this movie the special effects all looked pretty good yeah uh but it doesn't have the stylized over the top aspect that I think a lot of our more modern hyper violent movies have. And so it just is like eerily accurate, but still very gory. And that left me very unsettled. It's like the uncanny valley of violence. Like, yeah, not silly, not bad enough to be silly and not over the top enough to be silly. But it's yeah. just like right there. And I'm just like, whoa, this is a lot. Yeah. I'm glad that you were left unsettled too, because that was kind of a big thing that I felt watching the movie is the, the movie has like very, very intense violent sequences. And a lot of the shootouts are filmed very well, but some of the like end deaths of certain characters are just really over the top. And they, in other things, I like it. Like I, I love seeing a character get its comeuppance and just be totally shredded by a machine or whatever. Like, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, but when you just see it over and over and over again on like different sort of stuff, you just start to get a little bit numb to it. And then that numbness starts to feel weird in, in your stomach and stuff. So that was kind of what I was feeling when I was watching it, especially towards the end of it. Um, so I, I found myself, especially like when this guy, uh, some guy gets, um, just demolished by a propeller and when that happened i yeah, was like that was... Oh, okay i don't know how i feel about this yeah not not only does he get demolished by a propeller but he's shot a bunch of times from yeah. a high up place <laughs> then he falls and you're like okay well he's dead and or dying and going to die even more when he hits the ground and then a, they show in slow motion a helicopter fly underneath him and then he just gets destroyed by that <laughs> helicopter yeah it's really really ridiculous and apparently the i was reading some of the trivia about this movie and the that whole end sequence 
was basically the result of a rewrite where they just wanted some giant set piece ending to the movie. And it does feel way different than the rest of the movie leading up to it. It's kind of ridiculous. Interesting. Yeah. This movie was nominated for two awards, both of them the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> and one of them was for Best Action Sequence, and it was that helicopter blade sequence in, in particular that I was nominated for. The wow. other award was Best On-Screen Duo of Bruce Willis and Damon Damon Wayans. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah, it's funny how that, that last-minute ad of a of a this action scene is what got them nominated for the MTV movie award. I don't know how much cachet that award carries, but it's not the stinkers bad movie award. Yeah. Or the raspberries. So, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I felt like a big dumb after I was done with this movie and reading about it. And I was like directed by Tony Scott, blah, 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 brother of Ridley Scott. And I was like, what? <laughs> I so. also didn't know that, yeah. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, it was, it was kind of an interesting little read. He uh, He's done some other sort of action-y movies, but apparently another big problem with this movie is that Tony Scott was known for just shooting tons and tons and tons of coverage for every single shot and just, like, multiple angles and just redoing it a bunch, and it was the biggest pain to edit because you have to go through all this footage and all these alternate takes and everything. So apparently this movie had massive amounts of edits done before it was um, released and several different versions were screened to people. And the like one editor doesn't even want to talk about his work on this movie because he was like, it's the biggest pain I've ever had to deal with in my life. So it's, it was a, a little bit of a an adventure behind the scenes, even after they had shot everything, it seems like. Um, this movie also stars Halle Berry for um, the first portion of the movie, who looked the absolute baby. I was looking up to see how early on in her career this movie was. Uh, she was in a TV show in the 80s called Living Dolls, and then she had some other random TV spots. And then she had two movies prior to The Last Boy Scout. So The Last Boy Scout is her third movie credit. And I've never, I've not seen Jungle Fever, No Strictly Business, so I can't say to her uh, roles in those movies. But I was like, oh my gosh, Halle Berry is in this. Um, not long, unfortunately. Yeah. I something else that I was thinking about is that like the first half of this movie, the half with the Halle Berry character is a very like film noir sort of style. Like it, it's all very seedy crime and the bad guys upon bad guys upon bad guys and bad guys, boss and like hidden codes and cassette tapes and stuff and everything like that. That, all felt very different from the like all out action sequences of the second half of the movie. And I can't quite determine where it switches, but I know I like the first half more <laughs> I that. I just couldn't stop thinking about it after the movie was done. I was like, man, I wanted to see more of the like Max Payne style first half of the movie and less of the, the nonsense just bang, 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 and driving sequences of the second half of the movie. Did you find that too, or did you like both halves about the same? 
It is funny how you say that because the first there is a almost noticeable divide between the two halves, and the not only is the second half much more action packed, and not to say that the first half doesn't have action. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of uh, hand to hand combat in this movie, and a, Bruce Willis gets punched a lot in this movie, mm-hmm. but he it just gets silly in the second half. That's when. It, it goes full silliness, and I think it's thanks mainly to uh, Taylor Negron, who plays the um, the main bad guy's kind of like number one heavy almost, who's yeah. kind of setting up the uh, most of the um, action and the killings, and he plays the most cheesiest of villains. And you don't really see or hear him until the second movie, second half, where you're introduced to him, and you're kind of like, "Wow, this guy is at an 11. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of the bad guys are already playing like eight or nine, <laughs> and this guy just comes in. You're like, "Oh my god." Yeah, yeah. I uh, I totally picked up on that too. He, it's not like his introduction derails the movie, but it is like this extra thing in a movie that's already pretty complicated. I didn't take too many notes during the first half of the movie because they're setting up so many different dominoes. And I'm like, all right, I'm really excited to see how this all pays off. And then by the end of the movie, you're just thinking, wow, this movie did not have to be nearly this complicated because you obviously care more about the action than you do about the the complicated plot stuff at the beginning and the comedy and stuff. That That's, that's the stuff that you care about more rather than the plot. So I, I felt like the divide could be more based on like mystery and intrigue and thriller versus the action comedy duo movie that is the second half of the movie. And I wonder if that comes from a lot of the rewrites and re-edits that we've been talking about. I didn't I had read that same bit about how this movie really suffered in editing and how they had to bring in different editors to kind of clean and f- give a finalized product based on feedback and everything and i never felt like the movie was edited in an overly distracting way Mm-mm. i thought that uh it seemed like a very well um piece of work that made sense and you know flowed and there was explanations we're not talking cosmic sin here where the editor didn't have anything to work with and was really struggling to make a piece of to make a make any sense out of what he had yeah but it definitely the story didn't quite flow all the way through there was a in the first part of the movie there's a whole bit about how bruce willis um his old friend mike matthews played by uh bruce mcgill is like hey come you know investigate this crime and then he goes and finds out he's sleeping with his wife and then his car explodes and then we never really talk about uh that guy again like, it's just kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> my friend uh, slept with my wife and then blew up in a car. Yeah, they, that's fine. they talk about it, like, once more, but they just say that, what you just said, and then they move on. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a bummer, because I like that guy. I like that actor. Yeah. Uh, and I, like I said, I like the first half of the movie, so it was, it was sad yeah. that they threw out all the plot stuff in favor of the stuff that I didn't really care about all that much. Yeah. Um, C4 plays a big role oh in this movie. Oh, my God, and yeah. I don't, 
I don't know how easy it is to acquire C4, but they've acquired a lot. And one of the set pieces involving C4 is they put some in their trunk and then convince the bad guys to shoot the lock of the trunk, <laughs> blowing the car and the bad guys up. And at that point, I was like, wow, this movie is bananas. Yep. The f- there was no way that you could predict that this guy was going to shoot the lock and blow that up. And also, I'm not even sure if that's how C4 works. Can you just shoot a bullet at some metal nearby and cause the whole thing to blow up? I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but... Yeah, email us in if that works or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, car bombs seem to be uh, something that was like very popular in 90s movies. I've, mm-hmm. Gangster movies in general seem to involve a lot of people putting bombs in your car and blowing up. I don't feel like I see that as much anymore in... Uh, movies or tv but it happened in the dark night or the dark night rises mm. that was like one of that movie one of jokes plans I'm coming up on like 15 years on that movie yeah <laughs> oh i guess that is are we closer to is is the dark night closer in release to the last boy scout than it is to the current day I'm so bad at mental uh, math. I don't think that's true. Dark Knight came out in 2008, so that would have been 17 years. Yeah, no. Okay. It's closer to us. Okay. Well, we're getting getting closer to it being <laughs> further away. Every year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that they have so much C4 in this movie. And I... I also want to express that there is so much C4 in this movie. Like, as much as you were thinking, multiply that by a little bit more. Because there's just, like, every single plot element. They're like, oh, his car blew up with C4. Oh, no, there's C4 in your car. Oh, no, there's C4 in, in this piece of gum. Not really. But there's, like, C4 in a suitcase later. And it it just goes on and on and on and on. You're like... Can we please stop with the C4? Any other yeah. plot devices, please? Give us some C5 already. Yeah, Come on. yeah. it's 1991. I want to see C8 on this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's quite silly. Quite, quite silly. So this, the, the main bad guy is the owner of a football team called the LA Stallions, which not a real football team and exists only for the purpose of this movie, which I wonder is because they couldn't use a real football team. Probably. Probably not. It was slanderous. Uh, But a, a major part of this movie revolves around getting gambling legalized to allow sports betting, which is funny that, 30 years ago, people were still having the same conversations they're having today about legalizing sports betting yeah. in America. Uh, it's You can bet on other... You can bet overseas on things, or you can bet only in Las Vegas, but I'm pretty sure it's case by case across the rest of the U.S. on where you can bet on sports betting things, and it's still like a common discussion in law. Yeah. So here we are 30 years later, still talking about gambling yep this movie you heard it right here on this podcast 
is totally timeless as of now. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. <laughs> the other uh, thing that I want to talk about that that sports team is this movie opens with Friday Night's a Great Night for Football, yeah. which is the most like ridiculous opening song and concert performance that we're set to watch. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big football man, as I've already mentioned, mm-hmm. but I didn't think they played many games on Friday night. They played them on Thursdays and Sundays and Mondays. Did I am I missing something? Uh, Is this like set in a separate universe where they play? L.A. has a team called the Stallions and they play on Friday nights. I think we're basically asking for corrections here because I also do not know anything about football. <laughs> so if I say anything any which way then it will be wrong almost assuredly. So huh. since I love corrections, I have a little, <laughs> I'm going to say football is a Wednesday afternoon sport only. Oh, I dare you. Oh. Send me a correction. Do it. Yeah. I wonder, we're going to, I'm building a Zen, a Zen, a Venn diagram. Is that what they're called? Venn diagram. Venn diagram. Yeah. Uh, of, of our listeners. And, um, they'll i'll be able to color in the sports fan circle i thought that you were like on our, actively on compiling data you're like according to our <laughs> listeners like. yeah. yeah that's one of the metadata tags podcasts give you is sports fans sports fans yeah you're like oh apparently uh 12 of our users listen in on android and then uh 30 are sports fans this is incredible <laughs> Yeah, I gotta put my computing glasses on yeah. when I sit here and <laughs> run through the charts like on an old timey <laughs> calculator. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, also, this movie has a lot of drugs in it. <laughs> I I was like almost turned off by the amount of drugs that are in this movie. Not as turned off as Bruce Willis was by seeing drugs, but I was extremely turned off by that. So there's a interesting subplot around why Damon Wayne's character had a drug problem and that led him into gambling slash getting kicked out of the NFL and not being able to play anymore. And it seemed to start from, you know, painkiller abuse after uh, being injured. Ah, uh, yes. The painkiller to sports gambling pipeline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then he just flushes the pills down the toilet and that's it that we 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 solved it and then he's cured <laughs> hey uh, if you are struggling with any sort of substance abuse why not just get rid of it yeah that seems there you why, go that's why we didn't try that before yeah duh <laughs> yeah it's it's dumb it was only needed for the plot as long as the movie required it and then it just checks it to the side which makes you wonder why would they even set it up in the first place? Yeah, it doesn't really. Uh, it didn't really make a ton of sense. Mm-mm. Yeah, there's a lot of other things like that in the movie that don't make a ton of sense. Like, why show the character that Bruce Willis is friends with at the beginning if you're just gonna kill him off and then like not have him mean anything? Um, why talk about the letting your kid just do what they want if you're not going to let the kids just do what they want later and go out on that date with the high school boy or whatever. So there's 
there's lots of lots of little things like that in this movie that are just like random loose threads that don't go anywhere and stuff that maybe was left on the editing floor and they just couldn't fit it in but then why do you leave in the rest of the comments and yeah so roger ebert gave this uh review three stars he enjoyed it and he he has a couple interesting paragraphs that i want to read to you and uh keep your opinion on them so he says and I'll, I'll post the link to this review in the show notes so you can read it uh he says quote the only consistent theme of this film is its hatred towards women the two heroes willis and damon wayans have a wife and a girlfriend respectively who cheat on them the wife was Willis's, willis's best friend the girlfriend by prostituting herself both men are at home in the screenplay which hates women with a particular viciousness the verbal violence and the message is that a man can only really trust another man. The end of this movie is a particular in the way it insists on this. The hero reconciles with his cheating wife, embraces her, and whispers vile obscenities in her ear. We are intended to read them as tender. Then he strolls off lovingly with his buddy. End quote. So he, he continues to go on and talk about how this movie kind of treats uh, women kind of terribly. And then he... Um, the last paragraph of his review he says quote the last boy scout is a superb example of what it is a glossy skillful cynical smart utterly contempt and vile misogynistic action thriller how is the critic to respond to give it a negative review would be dishonest because it is a skillful and well-crafted movie to be positive is to seem to approve its sickness about women i'll give it three stars as for my thumb i'll use it and my forefinger to hold my nose end quote it's funny because Roger Ebert, you know, famous for giving movies thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. So when I watched this movie, I definitely didn't get, I definitely recognized some of the things he's talking about here, but I did not particularly feel like the film itself had such a vileness towards women in general. He also mentions that Joel Silver, um, the producer, has a, a track record of producing movies that have a lot of uh, misogynistic and violence towards women movements. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's contributing to the lens that, that Roger Ebert reviewed this movie. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really feel like this movie, pro- I didn't, I didn't come away with the feeling that the women were being portrayed as bad. I definitely was like, of course, Bruce Willis, you're, you're treating your wife terribly. Why wouldn't she cheat on you at some point? Or, uh, you know, Damon Wayans is dating a stripper. Why, like, you you know that getting into this relationship, um, I, I wouldn't even, I don't know if the stripping is quote-unquote what uh, Ebert's referring to as prostituting herself, but uh, there's also a confusing moment where Damon Wayans is talking about cheating on his wife with someone, and then you find out later that his wife had died a long time ago, and I'm like, so what was that supposed to be about? And he was talking about how uh, much he cheats on people, and I was like, "What? What are we? I don't understand this this line." But I, other all that to say, I didn't, I didn't quite get the message that Ebert's claiming here. Did you? How did you feel about this? So I guess it would kind of depend. I think that I understand where he's coming from, and I think that if I went into the movie with the lens of, you know, it seems like Joel Silver doesn't really appreciate women all that much. I would probably come away with a different interpretation than I did because I didn't 
get an overwhelming sense of that. I did think that it was kind of dumb that like the Bruce Willis character and his wife um, reconciled at the end and are like, all right, now everything's happy when obviously they weren't happy before he solved something and him solving that thing is not going to make their their relationship any better. Him solving this external conflict is not going to make their relationship any better. So I, yeah, I, I feel like it was something that probably wasn't well thought out, but I didn't get the feeling that like it was that it hated women or was a anti-woman um, production or that was the messaging that they were going for. But also I do want to acknowledge that I've got a blind spot there and that I am not a woman. So I don't have that sort of a, um, a perspective that I can offer to bring to the movie. It just wasn't something that I necessarily picked up on, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist at all. So I, I don't know. I don't know what I, what I totally think about that. I, I think that it was um, definitely a shame that they didn't really give any of the girl characters much to do, any of the women characters much to do. Um, but I, I don't nice self-correction. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But I, I don't know if that was purposefully malicious or even if it wasn't purposefully malicious, if that had lasting negative effects. I don't know. That's that's a really interesting thing. And I, I could probably read a whole paper about action movies or this movie in particular and its treatment of women and how the effects on that kind of uh, play out over a bigger, broader perspective. But I don't know that I, I have too many more thoughts on the matter, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree that we, you know, obviously don't have the, uh, we're not, we can't speak from a woman's point of view, so we don't have that, that light to view this. I think this movie definitely had a, a representation issue, like the the women characters, um both Halle Berry and uh, the woman who plays Bruce Willis's wife, and even his daughter to some extent, who probably but who has the most screen time, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, the three of them were never given a ton to do, and are just kind of there as as side roles. Um, but yeah, I never really felt like the movie itself was hating it, but. It, we're 30 years removed from the production of this movie, so it's hard to say. Yeah. The other thing that I feel like I should probably mention is that in the look of this movie from kind of a misogynistic perspective, I feel like to some extent you have to um, acknowledge that Bruce Willis or Damon Wayans are the, the good guys in this movie. And I don't really, I don't really want to acknowledge that they are good guys mm. Like, I, I don't even know if in the grand scheme of things they would be on the right side. I think that everybody is on the wrong side in this movie. It's just Bruce Willis is the protagonist. That doesn't necessarily make him and what he does and his whole way of going about things right. Obviously, the police are pretty useless in this movie and um, something that is not entirely true with real life. <clears throat> and the... <laughs> the the characters doing something that does have positive benefits doesn't necessarily make them good characters or good people. One of the interesting things I thought, and this movie comes out in you know December of 1991, and 
that year earlier in the year was the Rodney King incident in LA and so LA has a heavy uh history of racist you know actions and there's uh, a strong distrust between um the black community and LAPD and I thought there might be some of that come up when I think there's like the cops show up uh and want to talk to um Damon Wayans where they like recognize him as an NFL player but it didn't really talk about that whole lot and it, granted this movie was probably mostly made before the Rodney King stuff all happened mm-hmm. but I was kind of surprised that it, none of nothing of that was said but I don't know if maybe that's just me living in like our modern day where almost all of our media is uh usually reflective of like the atmosphere that we're living in because of the ability to kind of edit and produce that all together. Yeah. Um, I also know that this movie was not written uh, with a black person and required for that role. So they probably didn't even have that in mind when they were writing that. Yeah. I I think that that would have been like our pretty last minute edition if they had done it. It probably wasn't on their radar at all. One other thing that I wanted to talk about as far as a, a trivia thing goes, is that the movie is credited as having two writers for the story. One of them is Shane Black, who we've talked about. The other one is a guy named Greg Hicks. And if you look up his profile on IMDb, he has this movie alone, and he does not even have a Wikipedia page, and I can find nothing out about the person. So <laughs> I am utterly confused by Shane Black's writing buddy in this movie. He's not credited with the screenplay, just the story. So I'm theorizing that this is somebody that Shane Black met at a bar one time and they came up with the story together and he gave him part of a writing credit and then went off and did his own thing. But I have no idea. I'm so, so confused by this Greg Hicks person. That's fascinating. I... Even on IMDb, when when you go to the page for The Last Boy Scout... It goes like writers, Shane Black, Shane Black, and one more, and you have to like click on the one more in order to even see this Greg Hicks guy. Yeah. Um, how funny would it be if it really was just like some random guy who had gave him a few ideas and then had to get credited? Yeah, I I have no idea. That's what I have to assume happened though, because <laughs> he's only credited yeah. with story. He's not credited with screenplay, so he obviously didn't do any of the the like nitty gritty stuff with this character says this, this character says this, probably. Or maybe he's a character, he's a guy that just came up with all of the funny quips and just hangs out with Shane all the time. And Shane's like, that's hilarious. I'm putting that in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember any of the funny quips. Oh. I think there's one where he goes, Damon Wayne goes, Wayans goes, my middle name's Danger. And Bruce Willis goes, my middle name's Clarence. Yep. Yeah. That one's pretty great. Um, one of my favorite lines was towards the beginning of the movie where um, the Bruce Willis character finds out that um, his best friend is sleeping with his wife. And then his best friend, Mike, is like, it just happened, Joe. It just. And then Bruce Willis goes, sure, sure. I know it just happened. Could happen to anybody. It was an accident, right? You tripped, slipped on the floor and accidentally stuck your dick in my wife. Whoops. I'm so sorry, Mrs. H. I guess this just isn't my week. That part, I was like, losing it. <laughs> so goddamn funny. Just extremely vulgar. And 
Um, a great, great Bruce Willis freakout moment. One of my favorite Bruce Willis freakout moments that I've seen so far. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis really is in his element when he can just freak out on something for a little bit and have like really witty dialogue. Yep. That's what. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was an accident. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Before we uh, wrap up this part of the podcast, what do you think of the daughter character, uh, Darian? 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 Played by Danielle Harris. So normally when kids are in movies, I'm just like, ugh, I can't wait till we get to the point where we can just cg kids out of movies and then make them all robots because kid actors are generally pretty terrible but i really liked this kid actor and she played age accurate i think she was 13 when it was filmed and she did great in this movie i have no complaints about her at all i thought she she was really great with all the snappy dialogue and um the the scenes that had her in it didn't feel bad because she was in it or anything i I thought i thought she was a great great kid actor I totally agree. I thought that I loved the bits where she's just telling her dad to like fuck off, yeah. and her dad's like, "Don't talk to me that way." And she's like, "No, fuck off, dad." She's watching <laughs> Lethal Weapon. Uh, that's the movie she's watching mm-hmm. while they're at home. Um, yeah, which is funny. They, uh, Damon Wayans, I guess, was almost like they had considered Mel Gibson for that role, which. <laughs> would have been even funnier if she was watching lethal weapon and would have been like, man, this guy sure looks a lot like you, <laughs> but I think casting a, a black guy was a good choice though. And Dave, Damon Wayans was a better choice than just anybody. I think, I think he yeah. really, uh, really did great with his, his role and everything. Plus I don't know that I would buy Mel Gibson as a football player. <laughs> No, me either. Yeah. Or that Halle Berry wanted to date Mel Gibson. Yeah, no, get out of town. No way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought, uh, getting back to the daughter character, I thought she, um, I loved her like quippy interactions. And I also thought that she was like a great third part to their uh, kind of witty banter as the end action sequences go on. And then when Bruce Willis gets captured and she's helping um with you know track him down and she like gets a gun and all this stuff and everything yeah oh yeah that reminds me when um she gives bruce willis a gun at one point she puts it inside of this puppet that they introduced at the beginning and (laughs) i i was just thinking like well you know this is the closest we're gonna get to actually being sponsored by sesame street is having bruce willis use this (laughs) puppet during a sequence before he blows a bunch of guys heads in half yeah (laughs) It was so Bruce Willis is surrounded by guys, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna kill Bruce Willis and bury him, and then frame him for a crime." Which don't even get me started on how dumb this seems. Like, oh, you're yeah. frame the guy and then kill him and bury like what? But and then she just like wanders up, and they're like, "Look at this kid!" And she's like, "I got this puppet to give him," and then she hides a gun in it and gives it to Bruce. Like, that was some real. We didn't know what to put in here, but dot dot dot. Bruce Willis gets gun. <laughs> screenwriting yeah no kidding no kidding that whole like sequence was just very very silly yeah it was ridiculous i also i also enjoyed the uh silliness of the car chase and the car that goes flying off the cliff 
into the pool and explodes and then Bruce Willis just jumps and starts shooting the car. Yeah. This movie, I would say, is probably the a out of all the movies that we've seen, like a movie where you don't want to watch it in a like in country sort of setting where you just sit there kind of with a cup of tea and take in the movie. You want to sit there and watch it with some popcorn and some buddies. This is like yep. that that is that is the place for this movie. This movie is definitely a popcorn movie. We should have a thing where a movie is either a sip tea movie or eat popcorn movie. Yeah. It's like the two sides of the coin there. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, I'm not going to sip tea while watching Die Hard. No way. No way, no how. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Well, I guess Mortal Thoughts is a <laughs> sip tea movie. I'm not going to eat popcorn in that movie. Yeah, you got to contemplate things. Bonfire of the Vanities <laughs> is uh, drink a whole bottle of wine kind of movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would probably be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, one of the thing I wanted to talk about with this movie before we get to the Star Trek connection was the box office for this money for this movie. It wasn't seen as much of a success as they were hoping for. They spent $43 million on the movie. Um, and as we know from other Bruce Willis movies, he was commanding like around a $5 million budget for the, or a $5 million like price tag for being in movies probably has gone up a little bit since we've talked about it last. And him and Damon Wayans, uh, are both like share top billing. So I'm guessing that they both got the same amount of money. I think that's how that works. Um, and I know that Shane Black got like a record-breaking amount of money for his spec script. I think it was like 1.75 million. So you already have a lot of money just going into like getting all the pieces on the board. Not even to mention all the filming of everything. <laughs> so uh, this movie, 43 million to make, and then it ended up grossing, including the international total, 114.5 million. So it had a net of 71.5 million but it was not seen as much of a success as they were hoping for. I think that they were hoping for like a diehard or a diehard two level of success where they raked in like 170 million or 106 million. And it just did, did not do that. So the movie uh, probably also due to the fact that nobody had fun making the movie just did not get any sequels, but out of everything else that we've watched so far, I would watch a sequel to Hudson Hawk and I would definitely watch a sequel to the last boy scout. Those are two things that I would, I'd watch even if I wasn't doing this podcast, I I was happy with what I got. I, I understood what I was getting and I wasn't like, well, how did this movie get made? So it's kind of a bummer that it didn't do great enough to where they thought that they would do more. I totally agree. I actually hope Bruce Willis seems to be, in his stride in buddy cop movies. And I don't know that the Die Hard series seems to be more of like a solo lone wolf uh, action movie. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to see other buddy cop movies, but I definitely expect or I definitely hope that we will. A couple other notes around this movie and its finances. Um, Shane Black uh, sold this script for 1.75 million, which at the time was the record for ever anyone ever selling a spec script um and his his screenwriting rival joe esterhaas 
uh, then explicitly went on to try to make more money, $3 million for Basic Instinct. Uh, <laughs> so there was like a, a rivalry there. But this movie commanding the most anyone had ever paid for a script was kind of wild to me. Yeah. Also, Bruce Willis reportedly was paid $14 million oh, wow. for, this, for Last Boy Scout. Wow. I seem to remember it wasn't that long ago that he was making just $5 million a movie, but I guess you get a Die Hard 2 under your belt or a look who's talking and suddenly everyone wants you classic money you know it is interesting <laughs> they tried to recapture the the diehard uh monies forever but no one ever tried to go back and capture that look who's talking money later yeah. in life. we don't although i guess i take that back bruce willis does do a lot of voice work in the 90s uh for cartoons for uh, kids cartoons yeah but it's different like how many kids cartoons are rated r True, but look who's talking is not rated R either. Oh, I guess that is PG-13. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, other than that sex scene at the beginning, which I feel like should be rated no one should see again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Yep. Ugh. Good memories. Yep. Let's get to the Star Trek connection. Kendrick, don't you mean the Star Trek connections? Oh, sorry. The Star Trek Connections. Yes. So there's a lot of them. And there's probably more. So send us emails after we get through and you go, how did they not mention famous character actor blah 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 who played a a, a Ferengi in one of the movies in a cameo role? Well, I'm sorry. I just got tired of writing all these down because there's so many connections. So... First off is a guy named Frank Colosen or Frank Col- Frank Collison. Frank Cauliflower. Frank. I like it. I like it. Frank Colison. Um, Frank C. Frank C. We'll Frank C. Played a character named Gull Dulac on Star Trek: The Next Generation and Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and played the bad guy. I bet that's a Cardassian. He is a Cardassian. Yep. <laughs> And played the bad guy, Pablo, in this movie. And then a uh, noble Wellingham played a character named, nicknamed Texas in Star Trek The Next Generation. And then was the big bad guy, Sheldon Marconi, in this movie. And um, he uh, he's in Kendrick's uh, favorite episode of Deep Space Nine, right? Uh, Star Trek Next Generation, yeah. He oh, yeah, sorry. Next is time. in an episode called The Royale, which as a young as a young lad, I loved that episode. Um, he plays Texas, you know. Yeah. Texas. The whole state. <laughs> and then uh, next up we have Jack Keller, who played a character named Jahil in Star Trek D Space Nine, the episode Babel. Um, it is a famous, terrible episode from the first season. Do not ever watch it. And he played the bad guy Scrabble Man in this movie. That is what he is credited as. Do not at me. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, real, real, real quick before you move on. Is is that the episode where they all start getting their languages yes. scrambled because of a virus? Yes, they all start speaking different languages because of an ancient virus. Oh, because it's like Babel, like the Tower of yep. Babel, see? <laughs> yep. <laughs> It is it is like one of the worst episodes of season one. It's not up there with like 
um, Move Along Home, which is an episode where they basically have to play D&D to break out of the D&D game. It's horrendous. It's so bad. Um, yeah. And then there's uh, Bruce McGill, who plays a character named Braxton in Star Trek Voyager and is friend of the Bruce Willis character, Mike Matthews, in this movie, the guy that sleeps with Bruce Willis's wife. Um, and then there's also Frank Kopik, 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 and he plays a guy named Bolian Aid, or credited as Bolian Aid on Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and he's credited as neighbor in this movie. And he is apparently best friends with DS9 actor Armin Shimmerman. So that's presumably how he got his role, and makes me like him a lot more because I love Armin as well. <laughs> Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, so so precious. I love hearing about stuff like that. So now we've come to the part of the podcast where we're going to talk about Bruce Willis uh, particularly. And we've talked about him quite a bit already. Um, it's kind of hard when he plays such the, the main part of the movie. It's hard not to talk about mm-hmm. him. But I think, like I said, I was thinking compared to... We just watched Cosmic Sin last week. Yeah. <laughs> and <Ugh>. similar to <laughs> um, this movie. And uh, I think it was maybe Die Hard. Maybe I'm misremembering. But there's this kind of theme around how Bruce Willis is like a, a bygone hero. And the world doesn't have any heroes anymore. And they have to kind of like reconstitute a hero because we've moved on from being heroes cosmic sin he's like a disgraced general who they need to come back and use the unusable weapon in this movie he's kind of a washed up secret service agent uh who saved jimmy carter a jimmy carter lookalike uh in a flashback Mm -hmm. scene um but i feel like it seems to be a common thread with bruce willis movies where you know, the world just doesn't have heroes anymore and he's kind of, they've moved on and then they're like, oh, well, come back, sir, and save us one more time. Yeah. That that seems to be kind of, I think, the direction he's taking his, his career. Um, but with all that said, I thought I really enjoyed his performance. Like, you know, we've, we've said already he had a lot of fun. He was, I loved the quip. I loved the... Uh, action i thought this one of my major problems with Die Hard is he's kind of by himself so much of the time and doesn't have anybody to really riff on and so he's saying his famous one-liners to himself Mm -hmm. which always felt a little strange and kind of out of place he's saying it to the camera and to the audience obviously but it just feels weird for him to be talking to himself whereas this movie he has someone to bounce off of and i think it really shows how great it is because he can use his comedic and his action talents and um yeah what were your thoughts yeah i actually agree with everything that you said i think we both like similar stuff from bruce willis and him doing lots of comedy bits and fun stuff like that where he seems to be freaking out and everything i think we both enjoy that sort of a thing and this movie has a lot of that and it's great and it's like has it times too because Damon Wayans can just keep up with him the entire time. I'm not watching this going like, wow, this feels like an unequally yoked um, set of 
actors. Um, Kendrick and I talked outside of the podcast about how we're both watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we both kind of feel like Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie have kind of a um, they're they're both they're both good, but um, Anthony Mackie is maybe a little bit less of an experienced actor than Sebastian Stan is, and so it has kind of this unequal feeling in the show when you're watching it. This movie, I didn't really pick up on that. I felt like they were both working pretty well in step with each other. Yeah, and and you know they're equally billed, and I think they both are definitely uh, selling the movie on their own mm-hmm. and together. I think they worked really well together. It is a bummer that they apparently were, didn't get to get along well off, uh, you know, behind the camera. Yeah. But the actors. Yeah, I thought Bruce Willis was great in everything that he was doing in this movie, though. He handles all the action sequences well. He sells all the the gunfights and everything. And the the comedy stuff is the stuff I think I like from Bruce the most at this point. And I thought that he did great with all that. Do you know, and and I don't know, so I don't know if you know, does he do a lot of his own stunts, Bruce Willis? I don't know, but hearing about how he complained about being like too warm during that one sequence in <laughs> the bonfire of the vanities i'm gonna guess that he doesn't like physical discomfort and he probably does not <laughs> i yeah because bruce he gets punched a lot there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. um there's a scene where he punches a guy and kills him in one punch because he punches him he does the classic you know punch him in the nose and knock his brain out Maneuver. Yeah, and he, I think oh. he also fell on the concrete, and that also killed him. Yeah, because um, I like rewound that scene because I was like, "How did he die? He just punched him. What? <laughs> what happened?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, growing up, that was always a thing of like, "Don't punch somebody in the face. You could punch their nose into their brain and kill them." Oh, um, is that a th- thing? That that's a, that was a, I don't know if that's like a proven thing, but that's what I was always told. Like, wow, you could knock their nose bone into their brain and kill them if you punched them. Wow. Yeah, I I don't know. If you, you know stuff about medical punching and things, <laughs> send us an email or tweet at us. Yeah, yeah. correct us if I'm wrong, but I think that's a thing. Yeah. But maybe maybe it's not a, the legend that it was when I was a kid. You're not, people aren't talking about Well, you know, apparently if you eat seeds, trees don't grow inside you either. So if this is news for you, then... <laughs> The lies we were told. I as know, kids. I know. They're taking advantage of the fact that we were both homeschooled and just so gullible. So it's like, yeah, yeah you you don't ever, don't ever eat like, I don't know, watermelon seeds. The, I don't know what what lies was I even. <laughs> so many lies, so many lies. Yeah, yeah. Too many to get into. So Josh, where would you put? the last boy scout in your movie ranking well kendrick it wouldn't be a josh movie ranking if i did not say the words i really agonized over this so (laughs) i really agonized over where to put this movie i think it it's going towards the top of my list basically what i was torn between was whether or not it was going above or below in country but i think i settled on it goes just below in country i like them both about the same i just think that this movie it didn't really have anything to say it did all of its stuff that it set out to do pretty well i just think in country's a little bit better than it 
but I would put it right in that range. So it takes my number four spot. I like where your head's at. I didn't like this movie quite as much as you, and it's it's interesting. Um, maybe we should post our list somewhere where people can review them a little easier. But mm-hmm. uh, when a lot of times our you know our lists tend to be pretty lined up, but then now as we're going along, it's like the top section that's getting the most unaligned, which is interesting. Seeing our our differences, I'm gonna put this movie at number five which is below in country and die hard too. Mm. Um, yeah. Interesting. I definitely like this movie more than I like die hard too. I thought die hard too was, was quite a bit worse, but yeah. And then look who's talking is obviously one of the ones where we definitely differed a little yeah, bit. I cannot it. fathom why you like that movie. so much. <laughs> it's a sweet movie. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good stuff. I actually have my list, I think, published to my um, letterboxed. So maybe I could leave that in oh. the episode description. I just, I think I have it set up as a private list so that it doesn't spoil where I mm. think each movie is. But I could just leave it um, published and viewable so that it could be a little sneak preview for people that are um, interested in hearing about what i think about movies maybe a little bit early before yeah. uh, before everybody else knows yeah good little uh, letterbox d follower we have a letterbox list out there for the movies we've covered on the podcast but i haven't made one uh that ranks them so that's a good idea maybe i'll do that too yeah it's a neat little way to be able to keep track of stuff and it whenever you add a movie to it it always goes straight to the bottom of the list and so then I just go like, is this movie better than this? Is this movie better than this? Until I get to where the movie lands. So, yeah, that was <laughs> that was basically how I did that. <laughs> it it works. What can I say? <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, we're at that time. Oh yes, we are. And I totally have the the spinny up in front of me. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. All right. You don't need me to vamp anymore. I don't need you to vamp it up anymore. No, I think I'm good to go. <laughs> okay, because I wasn't doing it in the first place. So. <sighs> okay. Well, that means it's time for the part of the podcast that everyone loves. Everybody. It's called the Wheel of Willis. The Wheel of Willis. And what do we say every time? We spin the wheel of Willis, Josh. Kendrick, every time we always line up the phrase. <laughs> Whisk that, that wheel. wheel. Is there a character that should have been played by Bruce Willis other than the character that he played? So should we recast Bruce Willis into a different character's role within this movie? I don't believe so. I think the only other one that would be fun, and I don't know if we've really seen a lot of this. I mean, I guess Mortal Thoughts to some extent, but I think it'd be fun to see him play the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think having him play uh, the Milo character played by Taylor Negron, um, would have been fun, but I think, other than that, I, I'm, 
glad where he landed, Bruce Willis. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I I don't think that he anybody could have really played his part as well. It really feels like it was written for him. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but he feels so perfectly cast in that movie, and they probably molded it a little bit around him as well. So I think he was just great in in his role. Okay, it's riddle time. Why did Mr. Milo cross the road? I don't know why. Because his dick was stuck in a chicken. (laughs) Furball? Yeah. (laughs) Hurry, Tom. Thinks this is probably the first pussy a lot of you guys have seen in a long time. Especially this fat fuck over here. Where'd you get this suit, Grandpa? Gangsters arrest? Thank you to everyone for tuning in this week. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will be reading reviews on the air at some point. You can find out about us by just searching for Willis Waypod on there. You can follow us on Twitter at Willis Waypod or send us an email at williswaypod at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at kmartinix, that's K-M-A-R-T-I-N-I-X, or see all my other work at kmartinix.com. And you can find me, Josh, on Twitter at joshingcarter. Next time, Josh, I think we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but Bruce Willis's next movie is a movie called The Player. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he has a very big role in it. I can't find... Uh, he's plays himself. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems that it's a fairly small role. So we're going to skip that one and do Death Becomes. Yes. So we're finally getting out of 1991, aka the year. Of the year of the Willis. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So join us next week when we cover Death Becomes Her. Until then, have a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Goodbye.